But here we have, once again, something in the Old Testament that's pointing us to Jesus, that's saying to us, look for Jesus. Look for one who has this spirit. That there is a finger. God God doesn't have a literal finger. But there is a finger of God that has written everything from His law to His glory in the heavens to the condemnation of the men who brought the woman caught in adultery to now the condemnation of the prideful king of the kingdom of evil. Because remember, that's what Babylon is. Babylon is the kingdom of evil. So it writes on the the wall here, this fingers of the human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. Think of how many times we've been told that somebody's thoughts alarmed them. Nebuchadnezzar's thoughts alarmed him in chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar's thoughts alarmed him again in chapter 4. Daniel's thoughts alarmed him when he was given the interpretation of the dream in chapter 4. Now, Belshazzar's thoughts alarm him as he sees, obviously, this hand writing on the wall. Which, by the way, that's where we get the expression. If you've ever wondered, read the writing on the wall, that's, that's where this expression came from. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. So the king's watching and he sees the hand moving and writing. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Now that phrase translated, his, his limbs gave way. That is an extraordinarily polite and gracious translation. The translators are being very kind to Belshazzar because that phrase literally, if we were to translate it literally, means the joints of his loins loosened. He soiled himself. So now there's this picture in our mind of the king of evil. Belshazzar, by the way, is 36. Daniel, when he comes in the room, is going to be 80. So here's this 36-year-old man leading this drunken party. He's the king of the kingdom of evil, the king of the most powerful kingdom on earth. And the story is told us for the purpose of illustrating how God humbles the proud. And now this king of the most powerful kingdom on earth is in this drunken stupor, pale as a sheet, and he soiled his robes. That's a picture of the king of the kingdom of evil as they stand before the living God, or at least the manifestation of the living God. So this is a fantastic picture that Daniel is sharing with us here. As his color, now as white as a sheet, his limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. He's got spaghetti legs. I mean, he needs to sit down because he might just fall down because he, he's no longer stable on his feet. And we can understand. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? This hand shows up and writes on, the, on your wall. We would... 
probably not react altogether different than Belshazzar did. So now the, verse 7, the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. So he shouts, bring in the magicians. Bring in the Chaldeans. Bring in the astrologers. So he calls them in. Remember, the music stopped. All the talking has stopped. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Now, what's up with the third ruler? Why not second ruler? Because remember, yeah, Belshazzar is the co-regent. So third ruler is the best that he could do. So he offers, what it, bring him in. Give him whatever. You will be purple robe. Now, purple robe would have signified royalty now. Chain, gold chain would have signified wealth. So whatever you want, whatever you want. I'll give you, up to, like Herod says, up to half my kingdom. And so here he once again calls in the B team. How many times is this now? Okay, chapter 2. Well, we start in chapter 1 when Nebuchadnezzar recognized that Daniel and Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah were ten times wiser than any of their Chaldean magicians. So that's where we start. But then chapter 2, same thing. Nebuchadnezzar's first dream calls in everybody else. Nobody else can interpret it. All right, kill them all then. Oh, wait a minute. There's this guy, Daniel. Chapter 4, second dream, even more disturbing. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar asks everybody except Daniel. Now, this is the third manifestation, the the third supernatural appearance, and once again, Daniel is not called. Belshazzar here is the, once again, the illustration of what we might call the spirit of Rehoboam. Remember, Remember Rehoboam? Remember that guy? He was Solomon's son. And Solomon died, Rehoboam takes the throne, and then the first few days he's on the throne, these people come and they say, listen, Rehoboam, Solomon was really hard. He was he enslaved us, and he was really demanding, listen, your people will love you and they will serve you for the rest of their life. Just ease up on them a little bit. And Solomon said, or I mean, Rehoboam said, all right, I'll think about it, go away, and come back in a few days. So then he consults the older, wiser counselors of the land, and they say, yes, that's wise counsel. If you ease up on them, if you ease their burden, they will serve you diligently their whole life. But then he calls in his college buddies, his fraternity buddies, and he says, well, you know, what do you say to this? And they say, no, you do the opposite. You tighten, they've got too much time on their hands. You tighten up on them and they, you need to be hard, hard with these people. So he follows their advice. And then within days, the kingdom had been split in two. So along those same lines, here is Belshazzar calls in all his fraternity buddies, all his Chaldeans, all his magicians and everything, never even thinks about this man Daniel. He calls them in and asks them. Once again, he asks everyone but the one who will have access, of course, to the truth. Belshazzar here is, again, this illustration of the fool who returns again and again and again to the same hopeless, pointless, Worldly methods. Isn't that how our world goes? Don't we as fallen human beings, don't we as a fallen society, don't we just over and over and over and over again revert to the same fallen human wisdom that cannot give us answers? 
Once again, we just always revert back. I read just a, a few weeks ago that there are still, even in this day in which there's hardly any newspapers being printed, there are still today 3,000 daily horoscope columns being printed. We still have, we've not learned yet that that's just foolishness. We still resort to the same human wisdom. Likewise in your life too. Do you have something in your life that you just, like a dog to vomit, you just go back to? You prayed for victory over that. You thought you had some victory, but now you just go back and back and back. That is the lifelong battle with sin. God will give us lasting and permanent victory over some sin, but in His wisdom, He will allow some sin to be like the dog's vomit for us that we just go back to and back to. We've learned it's poison. We've learned it's destructive. We don't want it, we think, but we just go back to it and back to it and back to it. In His wisdom, God will allow some of that to remain. Why? Well, maybe a big reason is to keep us, as the story is saying, humble. To keep us, from, as Paul says, from becoming proud. So here is Belshazzar just going back once again to the broken cisterns of these Chaldean magicians who they have never come through. I mean, what in the whole story have they ever done except say, we don't know. We got no idea. But yet they just keep on going back and back and back to them. Now, then the king's... I'm sorry, we've already read that. So he says, whoever reads this thing, shows me its interpretation, shall be clothed with purple. In other words, I will buy this. I will buy my spiritual security. I've got the money. I've got the kingdom. I'll give you whatever. I just need spiritual security. He again is, is this illustration of the one like Simon the magician who was willing to buy the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. I'll pay you whatever. Whatever. Just give me spiritual security. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king, the interpretation. So King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed once again. He thought he was white as a sheet before. He was just white as an off-white sheet before. Now he's really white as a white sheet. And his lords were perplexed. Everybody's stunned. No, they don't know. So what, what is it? Could they not read the words? Some have speculated, well, maybe it was written in Hebrew, and they didn't know Hebrew. I'm like, come on. The... They have had Hebrew captives now for 66 years in the kingdom. They know how to read Hebrew. So it wasn't that it was maybe written in Hebrew. Maybe they just they uh, could read it but really couldn't interpret it like we said about the dreams, the two dreams. Certainly Nebuchadnezzar understood the basic idea. He didn't understand everything about them, but he got the basic idea. Maybe it was that way. Maybe they read the words, but... The text specifically says they couldn't read or interpret it. So I take that to mean that they literally didn't know what the words meant. Maybe that's something like, something that has to do with the Semitic languages. Just a, just a quick tidbit to help us, un, maybe this is what was going on. The Semitic languages like Aramaic and Hebrew have no vowels. Well, the language itself has vowels. You, you, can't, you can't speak without vowels. Every syllable has to have a vowel, unless you're Russian. Every, every syllable has to have a vowel or you can't pronounce it. So the language has vowels, they're just not written. There's no written vowels in Hebrew or Aramaic. And so as we get to the words later, one of the words is going to be tekel, 
T-E-K-E-L is how it's written in English. So that would have been written with the, with the, the letter T-K-L, no vowels between it. And so this is, when I was in seminary studying Hebrew, this is why Hebrew was my least, oh, it was my least favorite subject of all because it's so frustrating because the reader has to supply the vowels because there's no vowels written. So imagine the word, let's say if our language was like that, imagine the word B-T. Say there's a word B-T. Those are both consonants, B-T. you got to supply, supply the vowel sound in the middle. You could supply boat, bat, beat, boot. What is it? Well, the context has to tell you. That's what, in my opinion, makes Semitic languages so hard. So maybe they saw the TKL and they were like, Tekel, TKL, Tokal, we're not sure. Maybe that's what was going on. Or maybe they just were so stunned that they didn't even know what to make of it. We don't know. But it says not only could they not interpret it, but they also could not read it. So once again, he's gone back to the empty cisterns, the, the, the empty well, the dried well. Uh, they're perplexed. They don't know what to say. But here comes verse 10, the queen. Verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. So enter into stage left, the queen. So who is this queen? We're not told who she is, but I think I know. I think she was Belshazzar's mother. Here's why I think that. I don't think she was Belshazzar's wife because we were told earlier that the wives were there already. So I don't think she was the wife. So I think she was Belshazzar's mother, so she would be like the mother queen, which again would make her the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. That makes a lot of sense to me as, as we go on a little bit further. So the queen comes in, and notice how, A, she wasn't there. She wasn't in the party. So I think that that's going to speak to us something about some disapproval. Like maybe she doesn't approve of what my son's doing. He's in there. He shouldn't be in there. They shouldn't be doing this right now. There's Persians at the gate. Maybe she disapproves. That's why she's not there. But then notice how she easily enters. And think of the story of Esther. Remember how Esther was the queen too. And remember, she could not just enter when she wanted under risk of her own life. This queen just walks right in. Okay? Your mama always can just walk right in, right? I mean, even if her son is the king, she can just... If she's the mama, she can just walk right in. So I think she's the king's mother, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And the other reason I think that is because of what she's going to say to Belshazzar. The queen, because of the words of the king and the lords, came into the banqueting hall. So she hears. She's heard all night this party going on, music, laughing, and then it stops. She hears the screams. She hears, hears Belshazzar shouting, Bring in the magicians. And she says, let me go see what's going on. So she goes in there and the queen declared, oh, king, live forever. (laughs) Just a little bit of irony there. He's not going to live a matter of hours, maybe minutes. Oh, king, live forever. Let your thoughts, let not your thoughts alarm you. Again, let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. His color's already changed and something else has already changed. He needs to change his clothes. There was a, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods 
were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, not your literal father, but her literal father. So now I kind of pick up on my father wouldn't let this happen. My father was smarter than this. My father built this kingdom and you are letting it be destroyed in one night with your foolish partying, with your pride. Nebuchadnezzar, as we said, was the greatest king of Babylon. He was, he was a pagan, but he was a great king. And you can hear it in her voice. My father, look at what you've done to my father's kingdom. There was a man in my father's day. He knew these things. Your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. My father made him chief. You haven't even asked him. Because of an excellent spirit. Now listen to this. An excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles. Now we're not, we haven't been told about Daniel's ability to explain riddles, but apparently he could. And solve problems. They were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So I pick up on a little bit of sarcastic rebuke here on the part of Queen Mother. Son, you need to stop this foolishness. You need to get your act together, and you need to consult with the people that my father knew had the answers. You need to consult with this man, Daniel, and listen to the, ex- the, the description of him, this excellent spirit that's in him, the spirit of the gods. I don't know if the queen mother had been converted, if she was a believer in the living God, perhaps she was, or perhaps she has just this great respect for him. But in the description of Daniel, do you hear somebody else in there? You hear Joseph too. But somebody else is coming through loud and clear. Jesus. Isn't that... Isn't that just screaming to us of Jesus? This is like what I would call a Messiah motif. This is speaking to us, not just of Joseph from, I think it's Genesis 43, where Joseph is also, Pharaoh says of Joseph, there's an excellent spirit in him, there's a spirit of the gods in him. Not just what Paul will say in 1 Timothy 4 or 2 Timothy 4 about how it is that an elder of the church should be well thought of by outsiders, but this goes way above that. This is speaking to us something that points us to the same spirit that's described in Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, a couple of hundred years prior to this, wrote in chapter 11 of Isaiah, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Does that sound like Daniel? Now, Daniel is not the Messiah, obviously. But here we have, once again, something in the Old Testament that's pointing us to Jesus. That's saying to us, look for Jesus. Look for one who has this spirit. Look for one who, thinking maybe of Moses, look for one who is a mediator like Moses. Look for one who is a lawgiver like Moses. Look for one who is a king like David. Look for one who has faith like Abraham. Look for one who has defeat over his enemies like Samson. Look for one who has faith like Gideon. 
And that's what the Old Testament speaks to us all along. It points us. Alistair Begg puts it this way. When we read our Old Testaments, we should feel the Old Testament pushing us to Jesus. Pushing us to Jesus. The Puritans would describe it this way. Now, the Puritans, if they had a way with anything, it was words. And the Puritans would put it this way. The Old Testament is like the swaddling cloths of Jesus. Remember the swaddling cloths in Luke chapter 2? The infant was wrapped in swaddling cloths. And they used that picture to say, this is what like the Old Testament is to the Messiah. It swaddles Him and brings Him to us and teaches us to look for Him and to anticipate Him. He will have a spirit like this man Daniel. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.